Pastor Roy just sends his greeting to y'all. Uh, he did ask me to share a little bit about myself. If this is your first time here, if you missed me last week, uh, who, miss, who, who missed the sermon or Sunday service last week? Okay, not many people. All right, great. I am married. Uh, today, I actually celebrate our 23rd anniversary. Yes. And if you uh, ever meet my wife, her name is Kat. Uh, she's the better half of me. Um, that's, that's not debatable. We have, uh, we have four kids, two in college, one in UC Irvine, one at UW, and uh, two in Kent Ridge uh, High School. And we got two dogs, so we're in, and we're done. Amen. All right. Uh, and uh, I was born in the, uh, the deep, deep southern state of South Korea, okay? Uh, and I immigrated to uh, the U.S. when I was about five years old. Grew up in Southern Cal. Go Trojans. Oh, my bad. Okay. <laughs> Love your enemies. Amen. All right. Um, and so then uh, uh, right before 9-11, uh, actually uh, the early 2001, I joined the Army as an Army chaplain. And uh, um, while serving as a chaplain in the Army, I deployed uh, three times to combat, twice to Iraq, once to Afghanistan, total 40 months in combat. Uh, in combat, and um, it, it actually took a toll on me. Um, I was eventually diagnosed with PTSD uh, because of the things I seen downrange in combat. Um, dealt with a lot of casualties, a lot of soldiers killed or wounded severely in combat. Uh, by the way, anybody serving the military out there? Okay, happy Veterans Day. Thanks for your service. But one of the things that I learned in the military is this. It's all about leadership. It's all about leadership, right? You think about it. Whether it's your home, whether it's the place you work, whether it's a sports team, it all depends on what? Leaders. Good leaders or bad leaders. Because leaders have a significant influence whether it's at home, whether it's at work, or whether it's in a sports team. And actually, there are very few people in history that have made a huge impact in the world and influenced many, some for good, some for evil. And here's a little list of people who were considered to be the most significant figures in history by Time, Time Magazine. Now, Time Magazine had a list of 100 people, okay? So I won't go all 100, but let me give you the top 20. Number 20, Isaac Newton. Number 19, Albert Einstein. 18, Joseph Stalin. 17, Martin Luther, the reformer. Okay. Remember, um, a couple of weeks ago, we celebrated Reformation Day. Okay. Number 16, Gandhi. Number 15, Julius Caesar. Number 14, Karl Marx. Number 13, Queen Elizabeth the first of England, 12, the Apostle Paul, 11, Mother Teresa, 10, Thomas Jefferson, 9, Alexander the Great, 8, Aristotle, 7, Aldith, or, or Hitler, number 6, George Washington, number 5, Abraham Lincoln, number 4, William Shakespeare, number 3, Mohammed the Prophet, number 2, Napoleon, and number 1, Jesus Christ. Now, there's a name missing in that list. That name is the name Adam. Because see, according to the scriptures, 
one significant person is not li listed in the list by Time magazine. That person is Adam. And according to the Bible, Adam is the most significant person next to Jesus Christ. Why? Because Adam, through his disobedience, brought sin and death into this world. And the consequences of Adam's sin was so significant that the only one who could reverse its curse and power was Christ by his death and resurrection. Let me give you some example. You look around this world and you see the influence, the impact that Adam had on this earth. I mean, tragic. Just a couple weeks ago, there was a shooting in Texas in a church where 26 people were shot and killed. A couple weeks before that, in Vegas, there were more than 50 people were shot and killed by a crazy lunatic. But see, those are just what mass shootings that we are, like, shocked of. But every day in the streets of Chicago, in the streets of New York, in L.A., literally hundreds of young lives are being cut short by the evil acts of evil men. You look at certain parts of Africa or certain parts of Asia, the, of famine and of discourse, of civil war that causes poverty and death by the thousands and thousands. Today you look around the world and we have disease and sickness that takes people's lives every day. Cancer that destroys people's bodies. Famine, earthquake. Tornadoes, hurricanes, you name it. You look around the world, it is so clear that the evidence of sin has affected this whole world. That's why Adam is the most significant person next to Jesus Christ. See, Paul here in Romans chapter uh, 5 makes a parallel between the man Adam and the man Christ. Adam brought what? Sin, but Christ brought salvation. Adam brought death, but Christ brought life. Adam brought condemnation, but Christ brought redemption. Adam brought shame and separation, but Christ brought grace and reconciliation. And so from today's portion of scripture, from Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 21, you'll be happy. I only got three points. Last week, I was trying to get through seven points in a short uh, sermon because uh, there's a lot of things going on. But we have more time today. But I just got three points this morning. But basically, we see the parallel of between Adam and Christ, which basically says that all, see, when you look at this portion of Scripture, it basically says that, that all religions are not the same. That all, this whole idea of pluralism that, that all religions or all faith leads to God, it's, that's not what the Bible teaches. Romans chapter 5, verse 12 and 21 refutes this false idea of religion and man's way of salvation. What Paul is saying in this letter to the church in Rome is that all of mankind is in two categories. You are in an Adam or you are in Christ. See, when God looks at humanity, he sees the whole world in two groups. One group is in condemnation because of Adam, and the other is in salvation through Christ. 
One group is called the goats, if you read Matthew chapter 25, and the other is called the sheep. And so today we will look at what does it mean to be in Adam or in Christ, or what are the implications of being in Adam or in Christ. So turn your Bibles with me to Romans chapter 5, verses 12 to 21, and let's read this text together, okay? Let me, I'll read it, just follow, okay? Therefore, verse 12, just as sin came into the world through one man, that and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was, was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Verse 14, yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the trespassers of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, referring to Adam, much more had the grace of God and the free gift of the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. Verse 16. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin, for the, the, for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. Remember last week I preached on justification with seven points? All right. I hear that the sermon is recorded. If you missed it, I don't know. It's in line somewhere. I don't know. Maybe in your website. Right, John? I don't know. Where is it at? Right? Okay. Okay. Verse 17, for if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive, and circle that, I want you to circle that word, underline it, receive the abundant or abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through that one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, and by the way, whenever, we, whenever you read the Bible, you come across the word therefore, okay, that means uh, pay attention. Okay, Paul makes this statement, or, or you know, a, lot, a lot of times he'll make a doctrine statement, and he says, therefore, there is a reason. He's saying, pay attention. Okay? So he says, therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification in life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many were made what? Righteous. Now the law came into, the law came into to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abound all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also reigned through righteousness according to the eternal life through Jesus Christ the Lord. So again, today, we're going to be looking at or seeing the parallel contrast between Adam and Eve. To do that, right, Adam, we got to go back to the beginning. The beginning where? In the beginning of the book of Genesis. Okay? And if we read the book of Genesis, we see the count of how Adam disobeyed God, which resulted the entrance of sin and death and the consequences that we see how it affected the all of not only humanity, but all of the world. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 1 says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the, word, that the Lord God had made. Now listen, this is very important. There are people out there who believe the book of Genesis is just a mythology. 
It's a cute story. It's an analogy. Okay? If that's the case, then Jesus Christ is just a mythology, and Jesus Christ is just a what? A myth. Paul makes what? Adam as a real individual, not just a mythological being or not just a symbolic person, but a real man. And he compares to the other man, what? Jesus Christ. Are you following here? That's why it's so important for us to be, what? Committed to the inerrant, infallible word of God. So you see here where the serpent was more crafty than any of the beasts of the field that the Lord God had made. And many biblical scholars believe at some point Satan entered into the garden and took the form of a serpent or, or possessed a serpent. Either way, it was Satan who what? Tempted Eve. And look at what he said to the woman. Did God actually say? <laughs> Listen, his tactics have been changed, you know, thousands of years ago in the garden and today. And even today, even in churches today, right, we have so-called pastors or scholars or seminary students who believe or question, did God actually say? Did God actually say? And that was the first temptation, actually, right, that the serpent lied to Eve and basically questioned what? Questioned God's word, questioned God's authority, questioned God's sovereignty. That's what was going on here. Did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Now think about this. This is so, for me, it's so profound for me, okay? God says to Adam and Eve, listen, I just made you this awesome, cool, beautiful garden. You don't even have to, like, like, like put fertilizer in it. I'll, I'll take care of everything. All right, I'll water it, and it's abundant, there's fruit, and you could eat of every single tree. You could eat every fruit and every tree, but don't eat this one. God was being generous. God is being abundant. God is being, providing for the needs of Adam and Eve. But see, somehow Satan lies to Eve and deceives her and makes her feel like God was holding back on Adam and Eve. Like God is some stingy individual. Like God doesn't care and he doesn't want to provide for you and I. Doubting God's word, doubting God's goodness, doubting God's generosity, doubting God's truth. That's what was going on here. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. Liar. Liar, liar, pants on fire, right? For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open. You will be like God, knowing good and evil. This is so significant, right? Because people ask all the time, Pastor, what is sin? Is, is it because is, is sin is something like you, like you, you like, like, like break the Ten Commandments, right? You know, when I was growing up in the church, all I thought is that being a Christian is like, dashana, 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 dashal not, dashal not, dashana. I thought Christianity was just like, like, like do's and don'ts. That's not really what this faith is all about. Okay? The, 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 
The sin, right, was disobedience, but the root of the sin is this. Okay, are you following me here? Okay, it's basically saying to God, I'm God and you're not. That's the root of sin. That's why Satan fell, remember? He said, I will be like God. And God said, is that right? Okay. And he was thrown out of heaven. And that's why we see here, Satan tempts Eve, saying, if you eat of this, you will be like God. See, you understand? Every single time you and I disobey God, you know what we're saying? God, you're not God, I'm God. God, you don't sit on the throne, I sit on the throne. That's what sin is. Sin is basically right. We talk about the word idolatry, right? Worship of idols. If you really think about the worship of idols, it's not worshiping some image or some stone or some entity or some individual. It is the worship of yourself. That's what idolatry is. Because all idols are a reflection of who you are and what you love and what you like. So let's pick up from Genesis chapter 3, verse 6 again. So when the woman saw the tree was good for food and it was a delight in the eyes and that the uh, tree was to be desired to be make one wise or to be like God, she took of its fruit and ate and she also gave some to her husband who was with her. And guess what he did? This is so interesting, right? I mean, there, there's a, she's actually like, like, like debating with Satan and, and trying to figure out what's right and wrong, right? And it took, a, took some clever, deceptive lies for her to eventually take the fruit. But you see here, as soon as she ate of the fruit, she gave it to her husband, and the Bible says he ate. All right. You, you, you missed that. Okay? Okay. Because you know why? Because Adam was an idiot. Some of your wives know what I'm talking about, right? You're with your husbands. I'm just kidding. Okay? And but when the eyes of both were open and they knew that they were what? Naked or they saw the shame. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves lion claws. Now let's look at how Adam and Eve responded to God, right? Look at verse 8. When, when they were confronted by God and they heard the sound of the Lord. Uh, God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Look at verse 9. But the Lord God called to man and said to him, where are you? Now, first of all, did God lost Adam? No, of course not. It's a rhetorical question. He's asking Adam, Adam, where are you? Yo, Adam. It, it's more of a, not a, a, a physical a pro, a proximity, but it's about his mental and spiritual mindset. Where are you, Adam? That's what God is trying to say here. And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. That's what sin always does, right? Sin, what? Brings shame. Sin brings guilt. And sin causes people to isolate. God has never created us to be in isolation. God has created us to be what? In community. That's what the Bible says, confess your sins to one another so your sins might be forgiven. 
And because God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the perfect trinity who demonstrates perfect community, God calls you and I to be in community too. But sin always separates, right? Sin always isolates us. And so Adam decided to isolate himself because of the sin, because of shame, because of guilt. And God says, he says, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? Of course God knew that. God is sovereign here. What God is trying to do is get to the heart of Adam by asking him a question. Then the Lord said to the woman, what is this that you have done? This is so interesting. This is what I call Adam and Eve syndrome. Okay? Soon as God asked him what he'd be done, what did the woman say? She said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. It's called the Adam and Eve syndrome. Like whenever you're confronted, you say, oh, 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 oh. It's because my mama told me I was ugly when I was seven years old. Oh, because, oh, because you know, my dad said I was stupid when I was 12 years old. Oh, it's because of my genes. Oh, because it's my... My, 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 my environment. Oh, it's because of racism. Oh, it's because of my economic situation. We, type, we love to make excuses, right? We love to blame others. We love to blame someone else or some other, the situation or circumstances. That's a sinful nature. Sinful nature always what? Never like to take responsibility of their own actions. That's what, that's what Eve did. And because of each one's sin, they, what? It says here that they will bear the consequences of sin. First the serpent, the God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. Verse 15, I will put enmity between you this is so interesting, right? He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. And he, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. This is the first mention in the Bible of the death of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus is the seed of who? Eve. And he comes to die on the cross. And through his death, he will crush the head of the serpent. But obviously, he will be bruised because the death on the cross was, was mortal. But then verse 7, 16 says to the woman, he said, I shall multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth child children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Now listen, this is not saying that bearing children is the consequence of sin. It is the, the painful bearing of children was the consequences of sin, or the results of Eve's sin. It also resulted in the damaging conflict between husband and wives in marriage. How many, of you, how many are married? How many know marriage is hard? Of course it's hard. Okay? If, you, if, you, if, you, if it's not hard, it's probably because you're still in your honeymoon stage. Okay? I tell people, how many of you are married in less than a year? Less than a year. Rookie. All right. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> Marriage is hard. 
Because think about it, right? Even though you might be a Christian and you're married, there's still that simple nature, and selfishness always creeps in to relationships, and it hurts people. It does. And by the way, listen, marriage, God's design for marriage is not for you to be happy. That's Disneyland. That's fairy tale. God's design for marriage is for you to be holy. And through marriage, right, and being, and being sometimes in hurting each other, you learn to what? Forgive and to be patient, to be kind. I'm still learning. I'm, after 23 years of marriage, I'm a slow learner. But even in the beginning, you saw because of sin, there was conflict between husband and wife. And driven by the simple behavior of both being rebellious against God and against the roles and responsibilities God has given us clearly in Scripture in marriage. Look at verse 17. We're still in Genesis 3. Okay. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree which I commanded you, you should not eat of it. He says, Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistle it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. Now, it's not saying, right, that God is cursing work. Work is good. Work is it's beneficial. Some of you know what I'm talking about. If you ever been unemployed, that's nothing more depressing than to be unemployed, right? What it's saying is that, that God, in his mercy, instead of cursing man, he doesn't curse Adam, but instead he curses the ground, the earth. And because of Adam's sin, even in Romans chapter 8, verse 20 to 22 says this, for the creation was subjected to what? Fertility, not really, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and attain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. 4, verse 22, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning. This is interesting, right? Groaning together like in the pains of giving birth, or, or like it says here, in the pains of childbirth until now so like i mentioned earlier right you look at the world you see the sin you see the destruction you see war and famine and sickness and disease what was that who caused it it was caused by adam's sin and disobedience and the point of these verses is that adam's sin not only affected and affect affected and affected humanity but the whole world, the whole world. You know, there's, a, there's this idea, there's this discussion, right? Like, okay, um, you know, when you talk about development of children, okay, is it nature or is it nurture? Is it nature or is it nurture, right? There's that constant debate, right? In, um, in, in, in the psychology world, like, okay, how much does, you know, one's nature Right? Or how they were born, you know, with genes, or, you know, how the parents were, or how much is it, you know, their, their, their environment. Now, first of all, I do want to say that our environment does have certain impact in our lives. Right? Think about it, right? If, you, if you're raised in an abusive home, or if you li- were raised in poverty, or, or, or if you lived in a very, you know, unstable situation, you know, it affects that individual. I, I don't doubt that, Okay? But I would make the argument that it's more of our nature that affects us than our nurture. 
For, let me give you an example, okay? Like I said, I have four children. How many have children? How many? Okay. All right. Okay. You remember that newborn child? So adorable, right? So cute, right? But that little bundle of joy is so selfish. And you know exactly what you're talking about. If you're a mom, you're saying, Pastor Ed, amen, preach it. Because I've never seen a child say to the mom, say, oh, mom, I know you're tired. I just feed myself. <laughs> I've never seen a little baby say, oh, mom, I know you're really tired, so, you know, I'll change my own diaper. <laughs> right? You know, that's a, there's a reason why that child, right, at, you know, at, at two, they call it the terrible twos. Okay, you know why? Because they learned how to speak and speak up, you know, against you. Like, right? No, I'm just kidding. But, I mean, you know, right? you don't have to teach a child to lie. Like, like, I never taught my child, my all four children, how to lie, but man, they are good liars. <laughs> I never taught my children to fight with each other, right? right? But they sure know how to fight. We're constantly trying to teach our kids to share, to, to, to forgive, to be patient, to, 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 to be kind. All these, like, unkindness and selfishness and, 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 and evil words and evil thoughts. Like, I remember when I was immigrated from Korea, the first words I learned in English was cuss words. It's just not human nature. And some of you sit there like you're a bunch of saints. You know what I mean? The children don't know how to talk, how to lie or steal or cheat or fight. It's that human nature, it's that sinful nature the Bible calls original sin. Original sin. And every one of us, every one of us have been affected by it. It's a sickness, it's a disease affected by from whom? Adam's sin and disobedience. Look at Romans 5, verse 15, and, I'm sorry, 13 and 14. It says this, for sin indeed was in the world, right? You see it? I mean, turn the news on. You see it. Look at the mirror. You see it. <laughs> the Bible is true. It says here that for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who were sinning, was not like the trespasses of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. Those who did not know or have the law, remember the law was not given until what? Moses was still judged for their sin because Adam sinned. And we're all in Adam. And death still reigned over them. This attests to the, what I said, the doctrine of original sin that inherited all of us is the simple nature because of Adam's sin. See, listen. We don't, listen, we're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. And that's what the Bible teaches us here. Adam is that type, right, where he was a model of Christ. For both Adam and Christ are heads or leaders of the human race. And both were, listen, the one thing that was common between Adam and Eve was this. I'm sorry, Adam and Christ was this. Both were without original sin. Remember, Adam was created by God, and God breathed life into him, and Christ was conceived by the virgin 
Mary and by the Holy Spirit. So all people are either in Adam or in Christ. Are in Adam by physical birth or by the new birth, they are in Christ. While sin and death came through Adam, now let's look at the good news. That grace and life came through Christ. Look at verse 15. Romans 5, verse, verse 15. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many die through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. This is the good news. Verse 16. And the free gift is not like the result of the one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass is brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought what? Justification. Remember that the, the, the doctrine of God declares us righteous when we put our hope and we put our faith in Jesus Christ. So here, Paul makes a clear contrast of the consequences of Adam's sin and the significance of Christ's free gift of grace. Adam's sin brought judgment and condemnation, but God's free gift of grace through Christ brought forgiveness and salvation. Look at verse 15 of Romans 5. For if, because of one man's trespasses, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in what? Life. Through that one man who? Jesus Christ. So again, through Adam, sin, death ruled, and reign over all humanity, but all who will receive Christ are lavished with his grace and receive Christ's righteousness. In the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 12 says this, But to all who did receive him, right, to those who believe in him, believe in his name, the Bible says he gave the right to become the children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man or of Adam, but of God. Somebody say amen. That's good news. All right, my second point. Whew, that first point was long, right? So you see here Adam's disobedience in Christ's obedience. Romans 5, verse 18 and 19 says this. Therefore, as one trespass, what? Adam's trespass, Adam's sin led to what? Condemnation for all men. So one act of righteousness. What act was that? It was the act of Christ's complete obedience to the Father when he gave his life and went to the cross and died for your sins and the sins of all humanity. That act of righteousness led to justification and life for all men for who will believe, right? For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Will be made righteous. Again, because of Adam's disobedience, everyone is condemned and we're made sinners. And some of you say, well, hey, that's not fair. Why, 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 does, why does Adam's sin have anything to do with me? Because why? God appointed Adam to be the lead. Okay, let me give you an example here, okay? Remember I talked about, talk about leadership, right? Someone, I don't know, anybody Seahawks fan? I guess if you live in Seattle, some of you are Seahawks fans. Okay? All right. Oh, you know, I grew up in L.A., so I'm a, 
you know, Los Angeles Lambs fans, okay? They play like a bunch of lambs back in L.A., all right? They're doing pretty good this year, right? But think about it, right? Okay? When the team goes out to play in the field, right, win or lose, who's ultimately responsible? The head coach. Now think about that, right? I, I thought about sometimes like, that's not fair, right? Because the game is lost by the players. And I'm telling you something, okay? As much as you might like Pete Carroll, by the way, he was the coach for USC, Coach Trojans, all right? <laughs> I just got to put it in there, all right? Think about it, right? If the Seahawks don't win, guess what? The management will replace him and find a new coach. And, and I know it's a crude example, but it's very much the same thing, right? Okay? Adam was the lead or the head of all humanity. And because of his action, it affected all humanity. And by the way, if you were put in Adam's situation, I don't think you and I would do any better. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. But the good news is that what Christ, Christ, the other Adam, or the the perfect Adam comes and lives and dies for your sins and my sins. See, in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 through 8 says this, Have this mind among yourself, which is yours, yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Doesn't mean that he never stopped being God. He was always God, even as in humanity. But he emptied himself. By taking the form of a serpent, serpent, I'm sorry, servant, sorry, being born in the likeness of man and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. So as Adam disobeyed, Christ obeyed perfectly. That's why in Romans 8, go back to verse, I'm sorry, Romans 5, verse 18 19, Paul says, one act of righteousness or one man's obedience he is clearly referring to Christ's act of obedience of death on the cross. So therefore, go back to Philippians chapter 2, verse 9 11. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above name. Not the name of Buddha, not the name of Mohammed, not the name of a prophet. The name above all names, the name of Jesus Christ. Because it was he who died. It was he who provided perfect obedience. It was Christ and Christ alone. That's why so that the name of Jesus, what? Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Because of Christ's perfect obedience, offering himself as the perfect sacrifice. There is no salvation. There is no salvation. And given to no other name under heaven, given among men by which we must be saved by the name of Jesus Christ. You think about it, right? You, you do, do a, just do a study. Do, do, just do a study of all the great philosophers or great religious leaders. Every one of them would say that what? There's a shortcoming. There's a shortcoming. I don't know if you knew this. It might have shocked you, but you know Gandhi was a pedophile. Martin Luther King Jr., like to have sex with white women. Oh, Pastor, eh, 
That's what you're sacred. No, I'm just telling you the truth. I'm just telling you the truth. Moses, right, was a murderer. King David was an adulterer and a murderer. Every single leader, every single religious person, there's only one person in all humanity in the history of the world is Jesus Christ was absolutely perfect. That's why he was a worthy sacrifice. That's why there's only one name given to us in heaven, in this earth, and under the earth that must be saved. That name is in the name of Jesus Christ. Man, that's unpopular in the pluralistic culture that we live in today. Let me finish up here, right? I got five more minutes. I wish I had 15 more minutes, but I'll just go five. Third point, sin increased, but grace increased more. Amen. And now we come to this truly amazing portion of Scripture. In chapter 5 of Romans, verses 20 and 21, we see here, right, that, 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 that there was no hope that all was condemned because of sin. And we were all condemned. But it says in verse 20, Now the law came into increased trespass, but where sin increased, grace abound all the more. Let me first of all talk about the law, right? Remember, the law was not given to humanity until Moses received the law, right? So between Adam and Moses, sin was still in effect. Because why? People were dying, right? The Bible says, basically, if you sin, you die. And basically, by the way, death isn't just physical, right? The when the Bible talks about death, it's also talking about refers to separation, okay? Separation from God. When we die physically, separation from our bodies, okay? But you saw sin in effect. But what happened was this. When God gave the law to Moses, right, it wasn't just for Israel, but it was for all humanity. We see here the law came in to increase trespasses. What are you talking about? What is Paul saying here? Right. Let me tell you what it's saying here. All what the law did was this. When the law was given, it basically, right, the law basically showed how sinful we were. See, when the Jews and Moses received the law, they thought that the law was a way to earn their salvation, to obey these laws so then I, I could receive salvation or I could receive forgiveness. See, but both Jesus and Paul had to point out that the fact the law, right, cannot save anyone. The law couldn't save everyone, anyone. The law was only a diagnosis of the problem of humanity. James says so the law is like a mirror, right? When you look at yourself in the mirror, I mean, as long as it's not stained or cracked, when you look at yourself in the mirror, guess what? It doesn't lie. The mirror does not lie, okay? If you look at the mirror and you think you're ugly, it's not lying, okay? When you look at the mirror and there's pimples and pimples and and, and scars and, and, and wrinkles, okay? It's not lying. You see what I'm saying? All the law did was to show, to tell you, listen, you are a sinner and you need a savior. The law was pointing to how sinful you are and then pointing to Christ the great savior. That's what the law did. 
That's why when the law came, sin or trespass was increased. And all of humanity was in, incarcerated in prison of sin. And sin reigned, imprisoned every human being. But what? But what? Grace reigned through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ. Paul says here, where sin increased, but grace abound more. Where sin condemned, grace redeemed. This is the great news that Paul is talking about. Right? Because under Adam, there was no hope. Under Adam, we were all condemned. Under Adam, we were all lost. And by the way, okay, when you share that, hey, uh, I found Jesus, Jesus was never lost. You and I were lost. God had to pursue us. God had to save us. God had to send his son, Jesus, that we may be saved. So that's why sin increased. Where sin increased, grace increased more. And the Bible says to believe. The Bible says to receive. The Bible says to trust this grace today through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let me wrap it up with a uh, story here real quick. Um, I think all of us have sang that amazing hymn called Amazing Grace, right? Okay. I don't know if you know, I, I grew up in the church, and I tell you, I still, you know, I, I mean, I like these, like, new, cool, contemporary Christian songs, but, man, I love the hymn. They're so rich of truth and doctrine and, 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 and Christ. And, and this, this hymn, Amazing Grace, is truly one of the greatest hymns that was written, penned by a man named John Newton. If you know the history and how this hymn was written, John Newton, before he became a Christian, he was a slave trader. He was buying and selling slaves from Africa to England and back to in America. And, and on one of his trips on a boat, was in the middle of a horrible storm with slaves under his ship. And yes, John Newton heard of the gospel, and he even went to church, but never transformed, never converted, never saved. And in that moment, the story tells us that John Newton fell on his knees and cried out to God, God, if he would... To, if you would to save a wretched sinner like me, I will give the rest of my life to serving you. And by the grace of God, the ship, himself, and everyone on board was saved. And John Newton gave his life to Jesus Christ. And he lived the rest of his life trying to free slaves when he used to sell slaves. And John Newton was the one who wrote that song, Amazing Grace, How Sweet That Sound, that saved the wretch, wretch like me. Hey, church, what we read and what we see and what we understand from Romans chapter 5, verse 12 and 21 is this. We were all under sin and condemnation and death under Adam. But those who would hope in Christ, those who would give their lives to Jesus, those who would trust in Jesus, receive forgiveness Redemption and amazing grace. Amen. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you.
we thank you that we, we are only loved because of Christ's work, his work on the cross. We thank you, Lord, that while we were still sinners, you came and gave your life for us. And Lord, while we were under Adam, that we had no hope, we had no future, but condemnation and judgment and guilt and shame. But because of Christ, our sin is gone. There's no more, no condemnation. There's no more shame. Through Christ, you have reconciled us to yourself that we may know the joy and the, and the grace and the love and the peace and, and, the not, and the new life that given to us through your Son by the power of your Holy Spirit. So we thank you, Lord. And that's why we worship you. That's why we praise you. That's why we give our lives to you. Just like John Newton gave his life to you, Lord, when you saved him, we give our lives to you for the cause of your name, for the cause of your glory. Because our lives, Lord, are an expression of your amazing grace. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.